The overall point of God's word for us here this morning, church, is that if you are in Christ, meaning if you trust in Jesus Christ who died for you, rose for you, lives for you, if that's the case, then you are a child of God. You are forever and fully in God's family. And in fact, that's the point of this week's passage and next week's passage. There's a, there's a lot in both, but the overall point of God's word here at this point in Galatians is that anyone, everyone in Christ Jesus is a son of God. You can see that's in the center of our passage as you see there in verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And right away then, this means that if you're a Christian here this morning, and perhaps you've been a little discouraged because of things that are going a certain way in your life, right now you can take heart that truly you are a child of God. Or, or if you're here and you've just kind of been in a fog for a little while in your life, right away I want to know, let you know from God's word that you can be a, lifted a little bit above the smog in your life right now and remember that in the heavenlies, you are a child of the living God. Or, or if you've been here and you're just feeling a little unloved by other people or not cared for or hurt, you can take comfort in the fact that in God's eyes, it's not just that you're known by him, but you're loved as his actual child. Or, or finally, if, if you've just been tired or scared, or have doubts about things, or you've been burdened with a sin that you keep on struggling with, you, you can take any of those things and, and put them against the backdrop of this massive reality, which is that no matter what you're feeling, or doubting, or scared of, or struggling with, or going through, you are secure in Christ as a child of God. Now I know, starting like that in church, as people have heard that, I'm sure, many, many times, I know we hear that and kind of just nod our heads. But really, just for a minute, let's think about what we're really talking about here. Because, because let's be honest, we, we know we're small creatures, each one of us on this massive globe with billions of people. And not only are we small creatures, but we all know that we're broken and sinful. And so we all feel our sin and our inadequacies, our struggles, and we all feel how chaotic life can sometimes just feel. And not only that, but we all feel just how mundane life seems to be sometimes from day to day. And in all that, God is real. He's the massive creator God. He's the one who never had a beginning, and he's perfect. Well, again, we know we're not. And so all that said, we, we could kind of think that this is all hopeless there's not really much of a point to my life. And yet this gospel of Jesus is that in Christ, we are not only known personally by God and saved and forgiven of our sins, but now we really are in God's nuclear family. <laughs> We're children of God. And, and while we might be tempted to, to shrug that off and just be like, right, because everyone is God's child, because God made everyone, I want you to know that's not the way the Bible talks about being a child of God. It's not everyone. Instead, being a child of God is something very special according to the Bible. It's being intimately known and loved like Jesus the Son himself is. 
It's not just being created by God, all that's true, but it's being invited into the very love of the Trinity. It's being tenderly known, looked after, and cared for that much by the real living God as a loved kid. In fact, perhaps the simplest and best way about this is to use the, the millions of pictures of this that God has placed around us. Right? What I mean by that is just look at families, at parents and their kids to see a picture of this type of love. Because if you want to think about it this way, when, when God created the world and created us as human beings and designed us, he decided to have it so that we wouldn't just procreate and then be born almost as adults. Although, as you know, there are some species in the world that do work like that, some animals. Instead, God had us be born as helpless babies, as dependent children, and with parents. And on the parents' side, he put in the hearts of parents this incredible, indescribable love for their own children. And why did he do that? Well, part of the answer is so that he could illustrate what we're talking about here this morning. The reality of what it is to be loved as God's child. Because for us here, especially as, as parents, we know a picture of what that's like. But we know a picture of what it's like to really love indescribably almost your own child. And, and we're sinners. But, but, but that's just a mini picture of this reality of how God loves each of us as in Christ as his own child. And so again, our passage this morning is centering on that. In Christ Jesus Church, we are children of God. But, but one last thing on this before we really dig into our passage together, and that's just being clear why this is the case for any of us in this room. And for that, again, look at verse 26. In the middle of our passage, notice exactly what the Bible says. It says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So in that verse, the you are all sons of God is the emphatic central truth. It's the, it's the meat of the sandwich here. But what's the bread? What's on the outside? What supports that truth? The two phrases, in Christ Jesus and through faith. And that's, that's really important. Because what God's word is saying to us here is that we can be his children. Sons of the living God and his own family. But we don't get that on our own. Instead, God's children are those in Christ Jesus through faith. But which really is what we've been talking about throughout this whole series together in Galatians as a church. Because as we know now, hopefully the gospel is that we can be saved and God's sons not by what we do for God, not by our works. Instead, being a child of God comes by relying on Jesus and what he did and not on ourselves. But, but one last time, church, to open, let's remember and embrace this incredible reality that we're talking about. Be encouraged. If you are in Christ, because of Christ, you are a child of God, loved, known, guided, watched over, cared for by your sovereign and heavenly loving Father. And so although there's a lot else, I'm sure, going on in your life, maybe even in your thoughts right now, as there's a lot more in the passage we're about to look at, at the end, in the end, that's central. In Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. 
Bethan brings us to hell. We'll talk about all the other things that are in our passage here. So, so that's the central truth here. We're being sons of God, and we know why that happens. It's only because we're in Christ Jesus. But now from here on out, very simply, we're just going to basically have two sections looking at what Paul says before that and then what Paul says after that. And specifically then, first, we'll look at Paul, what Paul says before verse 26. And here we'll talk about how God prepared us for being sons. And then second, we'll look at what Paul says after verse 26, and there we'll see the Bible talk about some of the things that being a child of God means, what it looks like. And so in summary, first, how God prepared us for this sonship. Second, what being a child of God means and what it looks like. But again, remember, in the center is the fact that in Christ, we really are children of God. But that said, brothers and sisters, let's now begin our first section and see how God prepared us for being his children. And for this, we're going to be in verses 23 through 25. And, and before we read those, just to understand what you're here a little bit more, what Paul's going to do here is he's going to bring up that topic of the Old Testament again, which we spent a long time on in the last few weeks. And the imagery he's going to use now about the Old Testament law is it being our guardian, our guardian. And just so you know, that word guardian you're about to hear most literally referred to somebody back then in Roman times, usually a bondservant, who would take care of someone else's kids, who would do things like basic things like take the kids to and from school and would correct the kids if they did something obviously wrong. And that's why even scholars will point out that perhaps the best modern equivalent to this idea of guardian here is talking about a babysitter, a babysitter. Because a babysitter is someone who's put in place by parents for a time to, to watch over and keep their kids from being too bad and essentially to kind of keep the kids alive until the parents come home. But that said, now look down at verses 23 through 25 and the Bible says this. Now before faith came, we, will, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So, so how did God prepare us for this adoption to being a child of God and his family? Well, as you can see, Paul's basic idea here is that before faith came, meaning before we believed in Christ in the gospel, God's Old Testament law was put in place sort of like a babysitter. Meaning, like a babysitter, the law has rules and in a way, it can guide us. And finally, it really shows us when we're being disobedient like a good babysitter would do. Or as Paul says, it imprisons us under sin. But notice what the law doesn't do here in this passage is give life or anything like that. Instead, it was put in place to simply keep us and to point us to the true life to come. This is why, as you can see in verse 24, Paul says, quote, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Meaning the guardian was always supposed to point us to the gospel of Jesus, where we could have true life, where we can be right with God. Not by obeying the law, but by faith. That's also why he says in verses 25 and 26, But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Meaning the real goal of the babysitter wasn't ever to be the parent. Instead, it was to bring you and I finally to our true parent. And so that, in essence, is what Paul is getting at. And the point is, now that faith in Christ has come, 
we no longer are under such a babysitter like the Old Testament law. Or to say it maybe in a better way for us, we can't and we shouldn't settle for being people who define our lives and who especially define our relationships with God by sitting type rules. That, that's not Christianity. It, it, it isn't follow the rules because God just wants to keep you in check and make sure you don't hurt yourself too badly. Instead, in Christianity, God uses rules to prepare us, for sure. Right? And God, in the Old Testament, used his rules to guide and following Christ does mean following his rules. And seeing the rules shows us how we perfectly obey them. All that's true. But the rules aren't it. Instead, especially concerning the Old Testament, the rules were there for a purpose. To get us to faith. To trusting in Jesus. Because in Christ Jesus, you're sons of God through faith. That's the point. And yet, that said, the point also in this section does include the fact that God, though, did use the law this way. Right? He did use these rules on purpose to direct people to Christ. And, and here's, where, here's where I think this may be similar to, to probably a lot of us. Because for us, these verses here probably don't apply directly to us, because I bet there's not many of us in this room who once tried to follow the Old Testament law perfectly to be okay with God. And still, though, before we do genuinely come to trust in Christ, many of us do go through a season, though, where it primarily, right, kind of is a lot about rules. Right, and to be honest, personally for me, as I was thinking about this text and studying it this week, and how Paul talks about this guardian-type law preparing us for Christ, I, I, I came to see that this is very similar to my story and, and my life. And that's because for, for many years, for me, especially when I was younger, although I good, grew, grew up in a, a good church and a, and a good home, if I was honest, thinking about it, my faith for a long time primarily was about trying not to do certain things, making sure I could try to be a decent person and just obeying rules. Right? I'm sure that's the case for many of our stories. And that's often the case for us because that's so natural for us. Right? We know we aren't perfect. And we come to believe in God and we come to believe that he's real and perfect and loving even. But so what do we then resort to? We start to resort to thinking that God, since I'm not perfect, must mainly be about rules. That we've just, he just wants us to be decent enough people to be okay. Right? We come to think that God just wants for most of us to just not do these things and make sure we try to do those things. That, that's typical religion 101. And many, the point is many, if not most people, on their way to genuine faith in Christ do go through a time like that. And, and the point of verses 23 through 26 is that it was actually God's idea to have something like that for his people in the Old Testament with the law. Because that's what the law was according to Paul here. It was a guardian. It was like a babysitter making his people focus on rules and especially how they can't obey those rules. And again, for many of us, that's how our journey often begins to. But, that being said, even more than just that, God's word here is saying to all of us, we can't be content to stay there. Sure, God uses those rules in that time, but then once we're there, once we're people who focus on God by his grace and we really think about rules, 
we really have two options, just two options. First, we can think that that's it. We can stay in babysitter territory. We can think that that's actually who God is, that he's just watching over us because he wants us to obey certain rules, like a babysitter guardian. Right, sure, he's loving, but really we think he, he's just there because he wants my obedience. He just wants me to be a decent person. But Paul's point is if we stay there, that's not it. We're missing it. First, because that isn't Christianity. That isn't Jesus. That isn't God. That's not what he's like. But then also second, that's not what we were made for. Right? No kid is designed just to be told rules or just to be watched by a babysitter. Kids are designed to be loved by parents. And so, the second and opposite thing we can do when we realize that we're making God kind of mainly just about rules is we can, on the one hand, be thankful that God is using that focus for a time. He was preparing us like a babysitter. But then, it's realizing that that really isn't a relationship with God. That's not true Christianity and then going to Christ. Because <laughs> remember, that's what these verses are ultimately about. There's this guardian to show us our sin, to watch over us a bit, and God uses it. But what's the goal? For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. The goal is taking that rule focus, realizing that maybe God has used that for a time to show you your sins, to show you his perfection, but then taking all that and turning to Jesus Christ, the Savior and banking on him by faith and faith alone. And, and so for all of us, if you're here this morning and, and you're just hearing that and you're realizing that the way you think about God, about the Bible, about your faith is primarily about just following rules and following a law, even if it's just your own law that you make for yourself because you want to be a decent person, if that's you, then I hope you realize that perhaps God has you right there this very morning so that even right now, you to somewhere better, right? to, to, to where you were meant to be, to genuine faith in Jesus Christ, to the gospel, also that you may no longer just feel like a kid who God babysitter watches over to make sure you obey rules. And instead, so that in Christ, you may feel loved and known and secure as God's own very child. So that's what Paul says before our central verse about being children of God. But that now brings us to our second section in the second half of our passage. And here now we're going to turn to what the Bible says after verse 26 and what it says about being a child of God, what some things it looks like and what it means. And for this we're just going to see three things. Three things about what being a child of God looks like means and one in each verse. So we're going to start there in verse 27. So verse 27 essential. In Christ Jesus, your sons of God through faith. Look at your Bibles now, verse 27. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one. Excuse me, I was reading verse 28. Thank you. I was like, that's, that's not what we're about to read. Okay. Verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We'll start there. So notice the ending there. It says, for those of us in Christ have put on Christ. Right? And that word put on is the verb, just so you know, they used back then to describe what it would be like for someone to put on clothing. 
So literally that verse could read, for we have clothed ourselves with Christ. Right? And even just hearing that, you're probably getting the picture because that's a basic thing all of us in this room do every single day. Right? We put on clothes. We, we dress ourselves. And so this is relatable. And so all Paul is doing here is he's taking that picture of clothing ourselves to illustrate a picture of who we are now as sons of God. And that's that being a child of God means that you've now so identified yourself with Jesus that he's like the clothing you put on every single day. He's what covers you and warms you. He conceals your nakedness. He's what you decorate yourself with in a way. He's what you show to the world. Jesus is what now defines you, essentially. And in a way, then, this also shows us why we're even sons of God. If you want to think about this, because remember, when we started our message, we talked about why we're sons of God. And we're sons of God only, not because of how awesome we are, but only because we trust in Jesus and what he's done. But now here, with this picture of clothing, church, this gets across in another way. Because the truth is, if you want to think of it this way, if we go to God on our own, right, if we try to be in God's family on our own, going to him with our own good works clothing, if you will, our clothing of, look, I'm a decent person, it doesn't work, right, because you and I are messed up. But if Christ is our identity, right, if we're so identified and close with Christ that he's like our clothing we wear every single day, then we not only can be in God's family, but think about this, if we're really clothed with the Son of God, with Jesus Christ, if the second member of the Trinity is our very identity now, then we must be in God's family. Because Jesus is, and Jesus deserves to be. Which is why Paul says in this verse that we're baptized into Christ, because into Christ is what theologians call union with Christ language. And and all that means is that we're so unified with Christ, we're so identified with Jesus Christ, that now we get all of Christ's benefits. Because now God looks at us, and yes, he still sees us. Your personality still matters, but now he sees us clothed with Christ. Which is a quick side note, is why most properly, uh, when we're talking about our union with Christ and our sonship, most properly and technically, it's why us as Christians aren't just children of God, although we are, but specifically, we're all sons of God, as the verse says. No, that might sound strange and perhaps even misogynistic, but I, I promise it's not. And rather, it's simply because theologically and in reality, in our relationship with God, the reason why any of us in this room are in the living God's family is because we're in Christ, the Son, capital S, if you will. And that's why the Bible honestly rarely calls us children, although it does. And it's why the apostles who knew and loved and talked about women believers very highly, rarely if ever called daughters of God. Instead, as children of God, we're sons. Because the point is, we're sons only because we're in the Son of God. I mean, really, the emphasis is on Him. Or to say it another way, we're so defined as people now by Jesus that when we're talking about being in God's family, the Bible says we're all sons. Because we're only, because we're in Jesus, the Son of God. Now, now, th- now this doesn't mean, let me be clear, 
doesn't mean that women as believers, you can't ever call yourselves daughters of God per se. I don't think that's sinful, nor is it wrong, since you're still female children. And since the Bible does use the language in the church of mothers and, and daughters and sisters, but primarily we're all sons of God according to the Bible because the emphasis again is being the son of in being in the Son of God. And and lastly on this, from a male female perspective, in case that bothers you bothers you think about it the bible actually totally evens us out here in the gospel because yes we're all sons of god male and female but on the other hand all of us including us men are forever called the bride of christ with christ as our husband and so the bible evens us out we are all sons of god and we are all the bride but that's then that's what being a child of god means in verse 27 it means being into Christ, identified with Christ. He's such our clothing, and now we're in him as the son making us sons. We're in God's family church, like Jesus is in the Trinity. One last thing on this, because we can't go on without talking about how Paul brings up baptism here. So so what's going on there, you might wonder? Why bring up baptism in such a beautiful context about sonship and faith in Christ? Well, to begin, remember, it was Jesus himself who taught his followers to be baptized. And so talking about baptism in the context of following Jesus instead of the law does make sense. But even deeper, the reason why Paul brings it up here is because most likely, the most likely reason is because that word baptizo, which we translate baptize in Greek, most literally just simply means dipped or immersed. And so baptism was, and it still is, a physical thing that we as Christians do, right? We should physically immerse ourselves into water. That's what Jesus told us to do. But also, as you can see by how Paul's using it there in that verse, baptism is also supposed to be this symbol of this amazing spiritual reality. And that's the fact that we've been immersed into Christ. We've been brought into union with Jesus Christ, which is what we're talking about. And that's then why he probably talks about baptism here. And it's why we still do baptism as Christians. And to be clear, it isn't to earn or gain our union with Christ. Instead, it's simply to symbolize it. Because by faith, we're united to Christ, we're saved. But the reason Paul can say, you can see it in your Bibles in verse 20, pretty bold. The reason he can say that as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ is because for the very early church, it was so understood that once you believed in Jesus, then you got baptized, that basically the whole Christian community was baptized. Not because they thought they needed to be to be saved, of course not, but because Jesus commanded them to do it. And because as Paul said, baptism symbolizes our union with Christ being in Christ. And so as a quick side note, with with all that said, if while hearing that you realize you haven't been baptized as a believer and want to be, remember, we we have a a, a nice baptismal tub behind me here for a reason. And, And that's so that we as Christians, even today, like the very early church, might also symbolize the fact that we're two children of God, that we've been immersed into Christ, like we see in verse 27. As a church, we had like six or seven baptisms in December, and we'd love to have more, so just let me know if you'd like to pursue that. But moving on, let's now read verse 28. As we started before, verse 28 again, and here we will see another aspect of sonship. Look down at your Bibles, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. 
There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So now here Paul talks about how our being children of God affects us as a Christian community. We're all sons of God through faith, verse 26. And that's because we're all in Christ, put on Christ, verse 27. But now here in verse 28, practically, what does that mean for us as a group, as a church, as a Christian community? Well, using that picture from verse 27 that he ended with about clothing, it means we're all walking around living life as children of God, clothed with Christ, showing Jesus as our primary, primary, primary identity and what we're most about. And therefore, there's no longer these other huge outward things that divide us. And why? Because we're all one in Christ Jesus. We're all with Christ. Because now Jesus is our superior identity. Now on this verse, I want you to know that many people do take this and they run to places. They take this one verse. It's a famous verse, Galatians 3.28, and they run to places that the Bible elsewhere would never go. For example, people have taken this verse to say that because of this verse, we, sh- we shouldn't ever distinguish between male and female anymore. Or they'll take this verse and they'll say that ethnicities basically don't matter or don't exist anymore. Or even worse, people in the past used to use this verse to justify slavery, said it doesn't really matter if someone's a slave as long as they're in Christ. But without spending too much time on all that, I just want you to know that this is a good example where we as Christians always want to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Because the question is, what is Paul saying here? Is he saying that there's literally no longer male and female Christians? Well, no, because elsewhere Paul will distinguish between male and female Christians. And the same question applies to Jews and Greeks. Is Paul now saying that those ethnicities literally don't exist anymore? Well, no, because Paul himself in later letters will identify as a Christian who's still an ethnic Jew. Or is Paul saying that slavery is okay? Well, no, because Paul elsewhere in the Bible says that if a slave can gain their freedom, they should do it. And so all that said, what is the Bible then saying here? Well, as I'm sure we all kind of know instinctively, right, without overthinking it, what the Bible's saying here is that although those things still may exist, right, still when it comes to them ultimately defining us, and especially when it comes to them possibly dividing us, right, there's no more distinctions like that. There should be no more divisions like that. And that was a big deal back then, just so you know, that verse. And it's still a big deal today. There was one commentator I read this week put it. He said, old categories that fostered human inequalities and social divisions have dissolved for believers. They're gone. There is neither. There is no, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And and this means that if, if there's something about you that makes you think that you're lesser, than another believer. Less, less loved, less important, less cared by God, less cared for by God. L- less important to this church, less of, less of a gift to this church. For us as believers in our community, in our church, we're supposed to say no to that. Or, or we should. That's something we can all work on. Because instead of looking at all the things that can divide us, we should look at one another. And what should we see? Unity. And why? Because above all, we're people who are so, remembered defined by Christ. We are forever children of God together, clothed with Christ. 
Which leads to the last thing about our being children of God, and this now is verse 29. And in a way, this verse now, as you can see, is bringing all of chapter 3 to a close. But remember, chapter 3 has been about the gospel, God's promises and law. It's been about Abraham and Christ. But also now, chapter 3 has been about sonship, about being children of God. And so all that said, now notice how it ends, verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so what does it mean to be a son here? Well, the key word in that verse is that word heirs. What's an heir? It's a child, right? Usually back then a son who inherits everything their parents give them. And the Bible says in Christ we're Abraham's offspring and now we're heirs. And logically, if you've been tracking this morning, this makes sense. We're in Christ, we're wearing Christ, we're sons in Christ. And so this means we share in all that's Christ's. Right? In context, this specifically includes God's promises of the gospel to bless the world. But also, guess what else Christ inherits? Everything. Everything. That's really what's included in that word, heirs. Right, and this fits being their last thing in our section because this is really where all this has been going and this is honestly where everything's going for you and I as Christians. Because think of it this way, so much of Galatians has been about and is about being saved. Right, it's about being right with God in the gospel. And we've heard it now over and over that that happens not by how good we are or our works, by our rule following. Instead, it only happens by faith in Jesus Christ. And if we're in Christ, then we are Abraham's offspring. We get God's promises. We're saved. We're sons. We're loved. We are secure there. And that is the center of the gospel. But guess what? That's not all. That's not all God gives us. Instead, part of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that in Christ, God eventually gives us his people everything. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. <laughs> that was Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean we get it all now. There are people who teach that in the prosperity gospel. They teach that because Christ is blessed and owns everything, we, right now, must think that we deserve to be or by faith should be physically blessed and wealthy right now. The only problem is Jesus never taught that. In fact, Jesus himself suffered immensely and so did his apostles. And they all told us to expect the same. And, and, and so the prosperity gospel is not true at all. It's wrong and really hurtful. Saying that we should believe in Christ in order to get that prosperity now. And often that's simply using Jesus as a genie. Which is blasphemy. I want to be clear on that. Instead, the true gospel is believing in Christ, being sons in love, even in the midst of the suffering that we're going to experience in this life. Right? And that's why so many Christians have suffered in the name of Christ, like Leah Sherabu that we just heard about. And that's how Christianity has really taken over the world, because it's better than anything the world can give us. Because Jesus gives us that real faith, that hope in the midst of suffering, right? Not just to get stuff and get out of suffering. All that said, if we are in Christ, then we are Abraham's offspring. We're in God's family, 
and his sons were heirs. And again, what does the Son of God ultimately inherit? Everything. Really everything. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, listen to this. It's incredible. He says this to a church just like us. The Bible says, Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, those are teachers, or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. That's what it means to be an heir. Christ the King owns and ultimately will inherit everything. And we're in him. And so ultimately, we're sons. We will inherit everything in Christ. As the Bible says, we are heirs according to God's promise. So that's our passage. In Christ Jesus, we're sons of God, children of the living God through faith. God prepared us for this, and it means a lot for us. Which brings us to close with four quick takeaways from everything we saw this morning. And I'm just going to say these briefly, and in a way, these sort of summarize our passage. But as we always want to be not just hearers of God's word, but doers, take whatever one or a few of these and take away from this and act on it. So four quick takeaways. First, don't give in to rule-based religion. Don't give in to rule-based religion. All right, that's been a constant message of Galatians. Maybe it hit you harder this morning with that picture of just settling for a babysitter. Right, so don't make your faith in your life just about being a decent person. You were made for much more than that. Right, instead, make your faith in your life about Christ and about being a son of the living God in him. Second, be baptized if you haven't been. Be baptized. Baptism doesn't save us. Christ saves us by faith. But as we saw, baptism is a Jesus-given symbol of being united to him. And so if you know and you love Jesus, but for some reason you haven't been baptized as a believer, let me know and we can do it. Third, church, let's watch out for things that we let divide us as Christians. And instead, let's focus on Christ. Because it's so easy, right, to say that we're unified, but then to let differences of gender, race, age, background, or even just opinions cause us to divide and look down on others. Why we need that strong verse 28. Because in Christ, those things are supposed to fade into the background and we realize we're one. We're all clothed with Jesus Christ now and forever. And so what are these little things that can divide us? And fourth and finally, be encouraged that in Christ, you're not just saved and loved, though you are, but also incredibly as a child of God, you inherit the world. <laughs> now again, don't make that the only thing you come to Christ for, but also let's not downplay that future. We're sons of God. <laughs> We're heirs. And, and so concerning the world for now, as, as Jesus tells us we can take heart, he has overcome the world. And also, as John tells us, we can take heart that now our faith in Christ allows us to overcome this present world. But also, church, as Paul tells us here and elsewhere, let's take heart looking up and forward and remember Jesus is coming back soon. And everything then is going to change for the better. And then, in Christ as sons, we finally will inherit the world. Let's pray, let's pray.